This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's August 8th. The 8th day of the 8th month. It's got to be some... Good luck there, right? Yeah, that's, a, vibes. that's a good luck number. That's a, that, Those are some vibes there. Good Monday to you. It's uh, Jesperson and Hicks here. We hope that you had a fabulous weekend wherever you were, wherever you call home, whether you were on the road. Uh, it's always great to hear from those of you that were uh, hitting up our hashtag Real Talk RJ, including the Titan of Talk, Charles Adler, who's going to join us a little bit later on in the show today, as he does on Mondays. He was talking. Did you see this over the weekend? He's saying Real Talk's done something for him. He says this podcasting thing is like lighting a fire. (laughs) And I love it. People are responding. And uh, that just, of course, fills our bucket. And we hope that Real Talk has the same impact on you as we get into the stories that matter to people. And as we try to make sense of what's happening all around us, Sapria Devetti will be joining us as well in just a few minutes time. You will say why on Monday. Why would Sapria be joining us on Monday she was set to join us on Friday. We encountered some technical difficulties, uh. and so we wanted, <laughs> we wanted to reschedule with Sapria because there were a couple of stories that were time-sensitive and we wanted to hit, including that big Alex Jones verdict. So we'll get to that in just a second. I didn't even want you to mention the gremlins. I barely did. I don't even want I barely did. But there will be people that are tuning in, people that download this podcast on this Monday. Thank you for that. That'll be still wondering, yeah. what the hell happened we on Friday? Days where was your show where, on Friday? Yeah. So I just wanted to quickly touch on it. We had some... Some 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 issues that you troubleshot and, uh, you know, we hope they're gone. We shouldn't say stuff like that out loud. You never know. But here we are on this Monday, optimistic, and it's going to be a good show. So Sapria coming up in just a second. This Alex Jones verdict is pretty wild. I think a lot of people on Thursday afternoon when they saw that four point one million dollar judgment handed down they, they probably thought well i was hoping for more than that mm-hmm. right these two families uh or in particular rather scarlett lewis and neil heslin parents um scarlett we're going to in a moment show you her on the stand talking about her son jesse it's heartbreaking stuff obviously we're talking about the sandy hook massacre 10 years ago already they were suing alex jones for defamation based on his his conjecture, his comments on his show Infowars, you know the background, right? Suggesting that Sandy Hook was a hoax, that these parents are actors, that the whole thing was cooked up to to mislead Americans on conversations around gun control. I mean, it's just wild stuff. And so he's hit with this $4.1 million judgment, and, and everybody went, well, these, the, you know, in particular, uh, you know, Ms. Lewis and Mr. Heslin were looking for $150 million. That's kind of disappointing. And then, of course, legal watchers and those that were paying attention, close attention to the trial said, hang on a second. They said, just wait, the punitive damages will be announced on Friday, which they were more than $45 million for a total judgment of just under 50. 50 mil and uh this is this is one one claim so what does this mean for alex jones moving forward what does this mean for Infowars? this uh purveyor if you will of mistruth and disinformation alex jones has already declared bankruptcy of course you know sapria she's gonna she'll clarify she'll correct me on this she'll say i'm not a lawyer she's not been called she'll say i'm not a lawyer but she has gone to law school And so we'll get her take on that. Plus, we're going to talk federal politics. We're going to get into some of the stories that have been making news there. And I wanted to let you know that Positive Reflections, as we wrap up the show today, presented by Kubi Energy, 
as you might expect, some good news stories, but good news stories where I felt like I personally needed them. Yeah, we need When we talk about animal extinction, species extinction, there's a lot of reasons to feel heavy, a lot of reasons to feel discouraged about what we're doing to our planet. But a couple of those stories are moving in the opposite direction. And that's my jam, right? Yeah, so brother. I'm excited for I this know. Today. The conservation initiatives have been successful, and we'll leave. Uh, the details to come up a little bit later on in the show. Sapria coming up, as mentioned, in 60 seconds. First, I want to remind you that for more than 160 years, Covenant Health has made a huge difference for patients and their families. And for 30 of those years, the Covenant Foundation Lottery has played a big role in making a difference for those in their care. Every ticket purchased has a far-reaching impact. So we want you to help Covenant Health prepare for the future and continue to fund state-of-the-art equipment, enhanced care spaces, and innovative approaches to care at the Misericordia and Grey Nuns Hospitals. Your continued support is vital. The prize is up for grabs this year. Amazing. A $2.2 million dream home. And there's a Tesla Model S available, Johnny, as the bonus prize. Now, that deadline's approaching beginning of September. You're going to want to get your tickets right now at covenantfoundationlottery.ca. I also wanted to let you know you're probably seeing a lot about Athabasca University in the news right now. If you're watching Alberta politics, there's some stuff going on with Athabasca. We are going to be covering that story, but I bring up AU today to remind you that just because we're in the dog days of summer, just because we're in the middle of August, it doesn't mean that it's not a perfect time for you to get started on your next journey. This could be a career-focused journey. Maybe it's self-betterment. You want to learn a little bit more about a field that has caught your attention. Athabasca University is Canada's online university where you learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. So it's always a great time to get started at AthabascaU.ca. Well, typically, Sapria Devetti joins us on Fridays. Of course, I'm proud to ride shotgun with her as we bring you seriously podcast on Wednesdays as well. But we missed you on Friday, pal. And there were some things we had to talk about. So I'm grateful you've made time for us on Monday. How was your weekend? Yeah, pretty good. Um, I saw your pictures from the weekend. You had fun at Folk Fest, eh? Baby's first Folk yeah. Fest. So it was great. I don't I don't think he heard very much of it because we had the, the heavy, like, baby-sized industrial duty headphones. And so I think... Yeah, I love those because it makes it look like they're <laughs> yeah. going to, like, a construction site after. <laughs> yeah, <you know>? exactly. <laughs> but it was... uh, it was We sort of figured, like, we, we want to get him started young when it comes to Folk Fest. And so he was there. I, I actually had a bit of a... Um, I don't know if I want to call it a coming out party. I don't know what you'd call it, but I but I had to be honest with my friends. For those that are watching this on YouTube, you can see here. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram. There's there's little Noah with his uh, Folk Fest headphones oh. on and his soother. And, uh, everybody loves that. Everybody loves a baby at the music festival. But I came out of the closet a little bit this weekend, and I had to be honest with my friends. I I I uh, I didn't. There was there was a lot of a buzz and and a lot of hype around some of the bands there. And I, I realized I just don't think they're all that great. And um, I think it's maybe just because I'm old or yeah, potentially we, you, you irrelevant. Used to be with it. And then they changed what it was. Yeah. <laughs> what about Orville? Orville Peck was pretty good. Amazing. He was pretty good. He was pretty good. I thought, uh, should I say it? Should I start a fight here with like thousands of people without Go me? Go ahead. I thought that the National is overrated. I, I, oh, I didn't think the Nationals. God. See, okay. I, oh, Sapria doesn't like my take. Johnny doesn't like I, it. <laughs> I just didn't think they were that great. I don't see what the big deal is. But uh, anyway, um, why don't we talk about something that we can all agree on? 
uh, and that is that it's a beautiful thing. Uh, this is tough subject matter. I don't mean to roll into it uh, glibly, mm-hmm. but it's a beautiful thing to see someone like Alex Jones ordered to pay up. I wanted to use this clip. This is from the trial itself. Supri, it feels like everybody's seen it by now, but this is just remarkable stuff. This is when uh, when uh, lawyer Mark Bankson lets the host, the founder of InfoWars, know that they've received all the info off his phone. This was obviously a game-changing moment. Here it is. Mr. Jones, you know how an iPhone works, right? You've had iPhone text messaging for several years now. Yeah. What does it mean if the messages are in blue? Whose messages are those? Whose phone is this taken from? I don't know whose phone's taken from. I mean, I just, I turned the phone over and said, take stuff off. Can I have you look in the very bottom below the very bottom left corner? Is that your phone number? Yes. So you did get my text messages. And it said you didn't. Nice trick. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Mr. Jones. Oh. Indeed. You didn't give this text message to me. You don't, you don't know where this came from. Do you know where I got this? No. Mr. Jones, did you know that 12 days ago, 12 days ago, your attorneys messed up and sent me an entire digital copy of your entire cell phone with every text message you've sent for the past two years and when informed, did not take any steps to identify it as privileged? or protected in any way. And as of two days ago, it fell free and clear into my possession. And that is how I know you lied to me when you said you didn't have text message about saying you Did you know that? I See, I told you the truth. This is your Perry Mason moment. I gave them my phone and then- Mr. Jones, you need to answer the question. No, I, Did you know I, this happened? No, no, I didn't know this happened. But I mean, I told you I gave them the phone over. Just, just and answer you said, the question. you said in your deposition, you searched your phone. You said you pulled down the text, did the search function for Sandy Hook. That's what you said, Mr. Jones, correct? And I had several several different phones with this number, but I did, yeah. Well, of I mean, that's why you got it. No, Mr. Jones, that's not why I have Yeah. My lawyer sent it to you, but I'm hiding it. Okay. Mr. Jones? Mr. Jones, that's just answer questions. There's no question. Mr. Bankston also only asked questions. You you can like hear the popcorn popping as people are watching this. I, uh, I don't understand how that happens. How you make a mistake like that? Like wow. this is like Lionel Hutz would be ashamed of this lawyer. <laughs> I just don't. I, I don't know. Like and now I, there are reports that the lawyer is actually you know going to face potential professional and you know legal repercussions for this, which well, makes sense. But. Yeah, I mean, but to your point, you know, off the top about just the verdict and like what it says, you know, I think I'm actually glad I know it was a kind of a mess for you on Friday, Ryan, but I'm kind of glad we were able to do this and talk about this on Monday once the punitive damages were actually awarded. Yeah, um, because it really is just like, I think, an opening salvo for what he's going to face in, um, you know, the next couple of iterations of this. And it's interesting because a lot of folks were like, oh, well, you know, this is now some big win for, you know, myths or disinformation or conspiracy theories. And I think that's where we kind of have to like roll it back just a little. Like this is about one person who said a bunch of really terrible and objectively defamatory statements about these parents, right? The bulk of like myths and disinformation and conspiracy theories don't generally tend to target specific individuals and, you know, harming their reputation in the, um, in the process. 
Yeah, no, that's a fair point. And and I think sorry that, to be a Debbie Downer right away, like just being like, oh, this isn't some big win for well, Miss and Dis. But yeah, I mean, one of the reasons why we love talking to you is because you, you've never struck us as somebody that just gets caught up in the hype and runs away with the story mm-hmm. into a direction that's inaccurate. And so we want to understand the magnitude of this. You know, some people are suggesting that the damages can be capped in certain states and people are wondering what might this mean for for Alex Jones or the future of Infowars. Johnny, could you call up the other clip of Mark Bankston? So this is this is after winning. I mean, after winning in court, here's what the attorney had to say. What this is going heading towards is there's going to be a large set of plaintiffs who are going to be dividing up the corpse of Infowars in the bankruptcy estate. And over the course of that process, that could get very, very dangerous for Mr. Jones because there is going to be a new level of financial scrutiny. And if, you know, some lawyer like me can basically find out that he's hiding the keys to the candy store, pull it out in front of him on the stand, I can only imagine what federal receivers going to do. Um, so, yeah, it's going to get interesting from here on out. I love that. If some lawyer like me can do it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, a really good point. And I think part of it was also really exposing some of the financials for not just, you know, Infowars and his shows, but like all of the merch and all of the the weird supplements that he um, was was hawking and uh, the forensic like economics of this are fascinating. And, you know, he's claimed that he was basically bankrupt. Right. And like, we now know that's not the case. And at one point, in fact, they're making like $800,000 a day um, just off of like, you know, merch and other incidentals off of his site. So um, this does open the doors. But again, I would just say that this is very specific to Alex Jones and to Infowars, you know, more, more specifically than, than even that. And I don't know how much this judgment really like broadens out the scope for the overall war. And I'm putting that in air quotes um, Mm -hmm. on, on disinformation. Yeah. I mean, you see people bring up other sites. People are talking about Breitbart here in Canada. People are talking about rebel media and whether, I mean, that's a litigious company. If you've ever met one and you wonder if this might kind of awaken some people and if we could see more pushback on this. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, part of that also has to mean that whomever the news outlet is, and again, I'm putting news in air quotes, but like Rebel, Breitbart, you know, whatever site that you want to pick, they do have to go after an individual, right? And so the example that the Associated Press used in one of their explainer articles, which I found quite helpful, is that you can say that COVID isn't real. That's generally in, in an American context anyway. This is generally considered what's you know protected under uh, free speech, like under the First Amendment. But if you're going to go one step further than that and suggest that a doctor that is treating COVID is somehow a fraud or a charlatan or is you know pulling the wool over everyone's eyes, um, that's where those statements are no longer protected if it can be shown reasonably that um, you know the doctor's reputation was damaged and they suffered financial harm from it. Yeah, uh, this was I wanted to share this. This is uh, I can't imagine. I mean, I always say, you know, you and I are both parents. I don't think you need to be a parent to understand the magnitude of grief that these families, nearly 30 of them uh, feel after their children were taken from them. These kids now would be turning 16, 17, 18 years of age. They'd be graduating from high school right now. They won't. Uh, little Jesse, six years of age, was among those killed at Sandy Hook Elementary and his mom Scarlett Lewis had a chance in court to stare Alex Jones in the face and to tell him why she was pursuing this legal action. It's powerful stuff. I am a mother, first and foremost, and I know that you're a father. And my son existed. You're still on your show today. 
trying to say that I'm uh, implying that I'm an actress, that I'm deep state. You have this week. And I don't understand. Truth, truth is so vital to our world. Truth is what we base our reality on. And we have to agree on that to have a civil society. Sandy Hook is a hard truth, hard truth. Nobody would want to ever believe that 26 kids could be murdered. Nobody would ever want to believe that. I understand people not wanting to believe that, actually. I don't want to believe it. But I've, since that day, dedicated my life to keeping kids safe. It's our responsibility. I used to think it was the school's responsibility. It's actually our responsibility. And I've dedicated my life to that. And having a quarter of Americans doubt that Sandy Hook happened or doubt the facts around Sandy Hook is not conducive to keeping our kids safe. That, I think, is the moment yeah. you know, where she says a quarter of Americans have doubts that this even happened. Maybe this has less to do with getting Alex Jones off the air or getting Alex Jones to pay up or getting Alex Jones to declare bankruptcy and more to do with sending a message to almost 100 million people. Yeah, no kidding. And I mean, how do you and, you know, what she what she said there is just so true with respect to like we need to have an established sense of truth for reality and to, you know, have a civil society. And once that starts to break down, you no longer have a civil society. And we're already starting to see that. Right. I mean, that's already the case. Um, and, you know, to her point as well, with respect to just folks wanting to believe something not to be true, like it is understandable why people kind of fall into these um, holes, fall into these traps. It's a lot easier to want to believe that, um, you know, 26 children weren't murdered um, in the way that they were and that, People didn't want to do anything to try and, you know, ensure that something like that would not happen again via gun control at the federal level. Um, but it, uh, it, it's this is really where I think um, we have to be a, a touch careful. Just because, like, how do you go about, um, you know, legislating or regulating something like this in that space? Because this is the kind of thing that gives, like, you know, authoritarians and, and dictators. And I realize I'm kind of arguing against what I think most people would assume my position would to be on this. But this is where we have to be very careful. And you and I, one of the very first times we did this Friday, um, you know, sort of me joining you was about the trucker tax and how that was like pretty like, you know, objectively demonstrably false information that was being, um, you know, put forward by the conservatives and by mainstream, um, you know, Toronto Sun paper. Uh, and it's like, it, it's, that's why you can't fall into the sort of trap of like, talking about this as like a liberal or progressive or a conservative or whatever issue, because it does affect all of us. It fucks over all of us if we don't have an objective set of reality and truth and facts that we can all sort of agree on. And yeah, different people are going to come to different conclusions, possibly on the same set of facts and opinions are going to obviously vary and we're going to have disagreements, but we need to agree on what's real. And if we don't agree on what's real, then we're all fucked. I'm curious to know where real talkers will land on this. Uh, we welcome your comments to talk at ryanjesperson.com. How do you see this? How do you perceive the significance of this judgment? What are you expecting to see moving forward? We'll get to some of your emails as as the week progresses. I know that you want to offer a, 
like a disclaimer before we before we play a clip from the David Hurley's The Curse of Politics podcast. Uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but but you, you, you want to say something maybe directly to Lisa Raitt before we roll this clip. I do. Um, so I love Lisa Raitt. Uh, I have a giant girl crush on her. Um, and for, you know, I would say basically since she went up on that parliamentary press gallery stage dinner and pulled Liz May off of there, that's when you were just like, you know what, Lisa's like the kind of girlfriend you want who's going to like hold your hair back while you're puking and is a real ride or die. Um, so that is my disclosure. Before you roll the clip, I love Lisa. Okay. So Sapria loves Lisa. And here's Lisa Raitt on the curse of politics. I've I've been watching Twitter lately, um, because always a joyous experience. Yeah, not Twitter. Sorry, other one, not Twitter. TikTok. I've been watching TikTok. TikTok. And the amount of somehow in my algorithm, I found myself into the side of TikTok that has people complaining about living in Ontario, and it's it's twenty late twenties, early thirty year old people like crying crying on TikTok saying, I can't afford to live here anymore. I can't do what I want to do. Now, I mean, you know, as a Gen Xer, I say, well, you can't eat out every night, guys. You can't go to clubs all the time. Those $14 lattes are going to come and hit you at some point in time. But uh, that's not their lifestyle. They've grown up very differently and they want to preserve what they have. And they're being told you got to go back to the way it was in the. Okay. So it's, this is, this is just a different take on the avocado toast thing, but, but. It is. And I mean, I don't know a place anywhere that's selling $14 lattes, but whatever. Um, I just think that a lot of Gen Xers and a lot of boomers uh, tend to misdiagnose the affordability issue. And, you know, we can broaden that out to affordability issues more generally with just how expensive things are. But if we just focus on housing, I think for a second, um, where there's, you know, ample data, at least with the Canadian market to show just how like nutty it has been and how runaway it has been. And not just for like, owning a house, but rents, rents are very high too. And so I get that if you're a little bit older, you look at folks that are younger and you're like, well, if you just stop doing X, Y, and Z, then you'd be able to, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But that's just like simply not true. And, you know, in the example, I will use myself as an example, but when we bought our first place in Toronto, you know, semi-starter home, we had it for four years and then we moved because we needed, you know, a larger place. I now live in the suburbs. My, my in-laws live with me. We just needed more space. So in the time that we sold that, um, we would not have been, it was four years, a little bit less actually, um, just, just slightly by a few months. Um, we would not have been able to afford that house. Like the couple that was basically us, um, you know, some time ago when they were buying our place, um, we would not have been able to do it. And we had parental help and both my, my husband and I have good salaries, um, you know, a good, respectable household income and family help. And I think that's what people don't realize is that often to own in a lot of these places, um, you know, urban, suburban centers across the country, uh, you do need parental help. Um, and that's a really bad place to be um, if you can only own land, if yourself are the descendants of landowners, right? Like that's, that's a hunger game shit and we don't want to go there. And so um, I will, you know, and there are people a lot smarter than me that have studied this, that have lots of data on this, that can, you know, show Lisa and, and the rest of them just how wrong their statements are. So I don't really want to, you know, harp on that. Um, but I think what is also true with what Lisa said is that, you know, we need to also just be a little bit honest with ourselves. And I think there is also ample data to show that folks that are younger um, do tend to spend more of their money on entertainment and food. Now, it's not that they're spending so much money on the entertainment and food that they can't afford stuff. It's that like they can't afford stuff. So maybe fucking let them order a burger every now and again. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. And like go have a beer with their friends. Yeah. Kathy says I have friends paying more for rent 
than than what they'd pay for a mortgage, but they can't save up for a mortgage because they're spending 70% of their income for shelter. Uh, So it's kind of that vicious circle. Obviously, politicians have tapped into this uh, to varying degrees of success. Yeah, Yeah, maybe late. But I mean, you even look at what what Pierre Polyev's tapping into right now and and who he's selling memberships to, we speculate, or what we see anecdotally about where his support's coming from. And you've laid this out in previous appearances on this show is that he's going he's going almost to an entirely different or, or previously disengaged demographic with whom. This resonates. The question is, politicians can bang the drum and make a lot of noise about it. But does anybody have a solution? No, I don't think they do, because I think nobody really wants to admit the fact that if you actually do make housing more affordable, the folks that already own homes are going to see a decline in their equity. Right. That's just the way it goes. You can't just all of a sudden um, tinker with the housing market so that the folks that are already in it aren't going to feel aren't going to feel it. Now, the question is, is it worth doing it so that the people that are already arguably comfortable um, feel a little bit of that versus getting folks into 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 more housing. And I mean, I, I come down on yes, but, you know, it's, I understand why people would come down on the other side of it. And I think until we can really grapple with that and grapple with the fact that, you know, our economy is very a good chunk of it is dependent on our overinflated housing market. Um, it's we're not going to really want to do anything about it. And a lot of the measures just make it worse. Right. Like all, a lot of the like in, incentives for um, like getting first home time buyers into the market. And again, I'm putting that in air quotes because it's generally just helping people that are already sort of upper middle class. Um, you're not really getting at the issue. And you're, I don't really see a ton of politicians hammering to like want to build more rental stock um, across suburbs and across urban centers. Interesting. Maybe I'm missing. I don't know. Do you like I, don't know. I haven't seen it? I mean, maybe there are one offs. I mean, different cities are doing different things to try to create affordable housing options. But oftentimes that's also not getting first time home buyers into their first time homes. A lot of time that's also sort of I don't know if you'd call it emergency housing, but there are like the the, there's the unhoused population that includes families, uh, many of them, but certainly not exclusively new Canadians. I mean, you you look at the at the demand and what the real need is across the country. And I think it's it's almost overwhelming. Um, Jill here says, you know, you can't do much for the current generation, but today's parents need to get their finances in order and think about how they can position themselves to help their kids. I mean, you got some runway there and you got to think ahead to it. Speaking of parents, before we run out of time with you, I had to play this. It was going to be fresh on Friday, but I think it still sticks. And it seems to me to be flying under the radar a little bit. Former VP Dick Cheney. Uh, got a pretty direct message for 45. He's got a message for his fellow Republican, Donald Trump. Here it is. In our nation's 246 year history, there has never been an individual who is a greater threat to our Republic than Donald Trump. He tried to steal the last election using lies and violence to keep himself in power after the voters had rejected him. He is a coward. A real man wouldn't lie to his supporters. He lost his election and he lost big. I know it, he knows it, and deep down, I think most Republicans know it. Lynn and I are so proud of Liz for standing up for the truth, doing what's right, honoring her oath to the Constitution, when so many in our party are too scared to do so. Liz is fearless. She never backs down from a fight. There is nothing more important she will ever do than lead the effort to make sure Donald Trump is never again near the Oval Office. And she will succeed. I am Dick Cheney. I proudly voted for my daughter. I hope you will, too. 
I'm Liz Cheney, and I approve this message. What do you like? I've been so excited to ask you about this. Ah, okay. Look, so what Liz Cheney is doing, I mean, it's commendable, right? Full stop. She's going up against like her entire party. She's under intense like death threats and, you know, threats to her physical security and her family's been like roped into all. So like full stop. Okay. What she's doing is good. Um, getting your dad to start an ad for you is like, okay, fine. And then it's, you add in the fact that like Dick Cheney's kind of like the definition of like what I would assume people think the deep state to be. (laughs) Um, so not exactly helping her case. And then I think the broader point here is just that like, it reminded me and I texted you this, uh, to give viewers an insight into our text chain. But I was like, it just reminded me of that meme of like, I never thought the leopards would eat my face. Uh, (laughs) the woman who voted for the leopards eat my face party like it's just one of these things where it's like he trump didn't crop up at a night out of out of nowhere overnight right like the republican party laid the groundwork for him um including you know dick cheney and like the other like elder statement elder states people within the uh with within the party apparatus so i don't know it's just like good i guess do it now it's better now to fight for the republic and for democracy than never but like what the fuck did you guys think you were doing when you were like laying out the red carpet for this guy? I just all these new politician videos and the way that social media is going and the and you know you can shoot your phones can shoot 4K now. I'm just excited that there's a huge market now for the the uh, the musicians that are putting together and composing these moving violin vignettes. <laughs> you know? all, all I was focusing on was the music. It's the video. music. It's Cheney in the cowboy hat with the music. I was exp- I was just disappointed that there wasn't a close up of like his his like his itchy trigger finger ready to draw <laughs> like it kind of felt like he was there ready but uh, so Dick Cheney calls <laughs> Donald Trump a coward and the biggest threat to the United States interesting stuff thank you for making time for us we will see you bright and early on Wednesday morning my friend when the next episode of Seriously drops anywhere people get their podcasts of course on YouTube too. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Sapria. You got it. That's Sapria Devetti. Give her a follow on social media as if you don't already. And again, if you haven't yet subscribed to Seriously, you can get it anywhere you get your podcast. You can find us on YouTube. And of course, you can check out our flashy new website at seriouslypod.com. The Titan of Talk, Charles Adler's coming up in just a moment. Some interesting polling from Nanos. And I know Chuck wants to chime in on this. It shows that Stephen Harper, former prime minister, obviously the last conservative prime minister that Canada had, uh, the most recent, cons- somebody could read into that statement. I uh, didn't. The mm-hmm. last prime minister, the, the most recent conservative prime minister, endorses Pierre Polyev. You'd think that's a huge deal. Well, it turns out that it might have actually hurt who is perceived to be the front runner in this conservative leadership race. That from Charles in just a second. First, we want to remind you about Friesen Brothers Butcher Shop. You know they've been open. They built this entire family legacy on their butcher shop. That's where it all got started. Before they were your local grocery store, they were your trusted local butcher shop. Now, one of the things that I think has been most popular with Friesen Brothers Butchers are the freezer packs. You can fill your freezer with the combo of exactly what you and your family needs. It could be premium cut Alberta beef, pork, chicken, and of course that world famous Ivan's sausage we've been telling you about. World Bratwurst Day is coming up. In just over a week, Friesen Brothers has been proudly presenting Ivan's secret recipe. This one developed right here in Alberta for decades. There's the original, the sweet Ivan's, the Bratwurst, and the farmer's wife's spicy sausage. You can find out details at Friesen.com. 
Apex Automation wants us to remind you, if you're an engineer anywhere in Canada and you're feeling like it's time for a change, maybe you're not appreciated where you're currently working, maybe you feel capped, limited, like you're not achieving your full potential, why not check out apexautomation.ca? They have a careers link there. You can also learn more about their projects, engineering, fabrication, how they're providing fully autonomous solutions to industry and giving people back their time. If you're the best at what you do, why not work alongside the best in the business at apexautomation.ca. Sherwood Dodge and St. Albert Dodge have Alberta's best selection of Chrysler, Jeep, and Ram, and they're ready for you today, either in person at their beautiful dealerships or, of course, online, where you can browse their new and pre-owned selection, including the brand-new 2022 Jeep Grand Cherokee. An overhaul on the design of North America's best-selling SUV. Some great fuel-efficient options as well for those of you that are watching those prices at the pumps. If your family's looking to make a change to what gets you around town safely, make sure you visit St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. And I mentioned our hashtag earlier. It's a great way to catch our attention if you're chiming in on Instagram. Make sure you follow Real Talk on Instagram and TikTok now. Plus on Twitter too, our hashtag RealTalkRJ is powered by our friendly local utilities provider at Park Power. You can compare rates today. What are you paying for electricity, natural gas, and internet? Bundle your three services and save money. Plus the promo code 2022-RealTalk gets you $70 off your first bill from Park Power. Well, every Monday, it's our absolute pleasure to connect with Charles Adler, the Emmy award-winning RTDNA Lifetime Achievement Award-winning legendary Canadian talk radio host who joins us today from, I think, Manitoba. Charles, is that where we find you this morning, Manitoba? I'm on the prairie, my friend. I'm on the prairie right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to see you. I appreciated your tweet yesterday. I don't have it right up in front of me, but you, you were talking about how you're, you're feeling invigorated. There's, there's, there's yeah, been a fire lit underneath you from joining us. <laughs> let, me, let me start out with a, with a sad story. And if it, get, if it gets too sad, too, too maudlin, just shut me down. Um, a couple of years ago, I was driving around and I... Uh, I'm not one of these people who who listens to my own my own shows. I mean, there's some people who listen to their stuff every day, and I'm just I'm just not one of those people. So I was channel surfing, hitting different buttons, listening to different hosts doing different shows, and most of it just sounds like boom 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 boom. You know, professional broadcasters, bingo callers, whatever. They're not particularly into their material. They're executing their 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 jobs, their the content, their, the guests, the topics. You know, whatever. And um, and they're and they're just generic. I'm not trying to slam them, but I'm just punching around. And I, I realized at one point, this has never happened to me before in my life. One of the people that I'm just about to punch out of, because he also sounds like a, you know, like a, a kind of like sometimes somebody who's been doing baseball for too long, or maybe the game's going on too long, and the game sounds uh, something like this: Jesperson throwing a throwing high heat. Adler taking a cut, but you know one of those one of those kinds of you know shows. So anyway, I am punching out of one of those kinds of shows, and I realize as I punch out because I sort of get a little bit curious. I punch back in. I realize that the person I just punched out of was me. <laughs> K 
Okay. <laughs> that is, that is, what? I can laugh about it now. <laughs> I wasn't laughing that night, my friend. I wasn't laughing, amigo. I was sobbing inside. Okay. I was sobbing because that was my worst nightmare that I was living. As a matter of fact, the only thing that came close to it was the odd nightmare that I had over the many years. <laughs> because and it's not about, uh, you know, touting myself, but you, you can't achieve any serious sort of high level of success unless you bring a lot of passion and, yes, joy to the part. And that was never a problem. I, I never thought of what I was doing as work. But, boy, for that few moments, that punched back in and realized it was me. I punched out again immediately because it was just so difficult to handle the fact that I, too, was now one of these bingo callers just executing the material in a relatively professional way, blah, blah, blah. Coming up in just a few moments, you know. Anyway. Um, Not anymore. I... I, I, I I just, you know, it, it, it dawned on me that it was time to time to saddle up and move on because, <laughs> you know, legacy matters. I mean, different people have different values. But, you know, part of our relationship here is I, I see you as my my heir. I sometimes call you my my podcasting progeny uh, because uh, you, um, you 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 have, you've got so much of what I used to call the, the girl that I brought to the dance, the the passion, the, the amount of prep that you do, and most important to me, most important to someone like my mom and my late dad, you don't suck up to anybody. You know, just, you know, sometimes you support the guy on the left and sometimes the guy on the right, sometimes none of them at all. Anyway, you're relentless in your pursuit of truth and you've got a passion for doing what you do. Nobody who listens to you thinks that you're doing it for the money. Of course, we want to get paid. We're pro-business. We're pro-free enterprise. We're all that, that wonderful stuff. But folks, I got to tell you, and I don't mean to embarrass my podcasting progeny here. I refuse to take a dime for these visits on Monday. Okay. I, I you know, I, Ryan had to force me to accept this as a gift because I wanted to pay for the cap. I wanted to pay for the Ryan Jesperson Real Talk merch. Are you talking so about the, your Real Talk snapback cap available yeah. under the merch link at RyanJesperson.com, uh, Charles? Is that what you're talking can, about? Everyone, can everyone see the mug? Oh, yeah. Look at that. I'm wondering this is, I drink my coffee out of this mug. I, I drink uh, Kirkland coffee. Oh wow! We're still trying to land on a studio coffee right now, Johnny. I guess what this means with Chuck letting us know that he because we actually had a business proposal for you, Chuck. But we'll just go ahead and toss that because we, we wanted to. <laughs> we were hoping to pay you a couple of grand <laughs> no, a week, but if you but if you don't need it, uh, <laughs> our sample. Yeah, we'll I keep sa- it. I sample yeah, we'll keep it. We I can, yeah, we'll keep- sample Timmy's and and today I've been sampling uh, the stuff I got at Costco yesterday. Which <laughs> yeah. is, I guess their brand is called Kirkland. I'm I saw, an equal yeah, I was, opportunity person. Uh, I don't want to get too <laughs> off track with you, although who cares? We can talk about whatever we want. But I, I saw somebody over the weekend on one of the golf uh, accounts that I follow. Uh, apparently, yeah. and this is not a paid spot. You and I are not in- subtly integrating marketing. This is yeah. a, the, There's the Kirkland Scotty Cameron putter. And everybody's yeah. wondering, like, would you? The question is, would you? And I've got some buddies that play the Kirkland golf balls. And, and people are convinced the same with the Kirkland vodka, right? Everybody thinks the Kirkland vodka is really just Grey Goose, but branded differently. And everybody's pretty sure that the Kirkland golf balls are pro V1s, although I, I don't know if that makes sense to me. And then people are wondering now, would you play the Kirkland Scotty Cameron putter? Apparently, it's a great blade putter, but yeah. a lot of people can't get over the fact that it's Costco branded uh, because sometimes optics matter, right? Well, it's just crazy. I mean, Costco. I mean, I, I get I get Skechers shoes at, at Costco, uh, but I mean, the, the 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 point is that 
I don't think, I don't know. I mean, maybe we have to sometimes state what we think is the obvious because I'm feeling like Captain Obvious right now. Um, Costco does not make coffee. They put their, they put their brand, they put their label on coffee that some other really good coffee maker makes. And it's the same with, with golf clubs. Ryan, do, do, do we think that anybody in this intelligent audience thinks that Costco is a manufacturer of stuff? I think that people is so fascinating. The I, I don't mean to get off on a real tangent here, but the, the idea of branding and logos, John, uh-huh. you feel the same way. It's like people that you could you you. I, I mean, I'm, no, I'm, I'm speaking to Captain Obvious. You can you can stamp a certain something on a T-shirt, and all of a sudden the T-shirt goes from like eighteen dollars to one hundred and eighty dollars, and nothing oh, yeah. changed about it. Yeah. And it's just, and you feel better. Maybe you should feel more stupid, but you feel that you walk around. You got the confidence like you would never wear a T-shirt to a wedding unless it's that brand of T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or it's like it's the same thing with like Gucci and Prada. These are all like it's all the same leather and materials. But of course. It's just it's just a name on there. And yeah, it's built better. It's manufactured in a certain place, but it, it's still just cotton and wool and leather it's all it's the, the same. same deal hey charles speaking of branding obviously it matters a ton in politics i want to provide i pulled a bit of an extent this clip's about a minute but i wanted i wanted to give i mean the full video is like seven minutes pierre poliev released this over the weekend but it'll set the table nicely for us uh to talk about the campaign i want to talk about this nanos polling about harper's endorsement but first this was pierre poliev oh this video something else he's good at what he does i'll give him that this one released just a short time ago hola justin trudeau it's your old amigo pierre poliev coming to you from rural manitoba with a few quick questions that you can answer for me while you relax reclined on the beach drinking a cerveza in between trips out on the surfboard before i get on with it though can i just take off this mask i don't mean to be too forward it's just i noticed you weren't wearing a mask when you were getting off your private jet even though you're requiring everyone else to wear one on a plane some might call that unmasked hypocrisy but i wouldn't say such an unkind thing when you're just trying to relax Uh, in fact i don't have a problem with you taking a vacation i hope you and your family are well Uh, i just wanted to find out what your vacation means for everyone else i'm thinking about how you got uh, to costa rica and how you're getting back and what it means in the lives of ordinary people let's start with what powered your jet i presume you used jet fuel there are no electric planes that can take you those long distances justin i presume you didn't get there by bicycle. In fact, you used a lot of fuel, according to the National Post, in every one but 11 of the last uh, month, uh, you days, you were actually flying somewhere doing photo ops. In fact, you burned more fuel last month than an entire trucker convoy would have burned if it had driven from Regina to the nation's capital. <laughs> Titan? You know, the thing is, it, it goes it goes through seven minutes and it comes across. And, and I realize that, you know, my conservative friends and my ex-friends are going to, you know, slam me for this. But when when a guy is obsessed with somebody, in this case, Pierre Pauly, I'm obsessed with Trudeau, and it goes on for two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, my God, seven and a half minutes. It it comes across like the, like, like, like the kind of creep who is stalking someone. I'm not suggesting that Pierre Pauly is dangerous 
or that he's stalking the prime minister in the way that a some some wingnut is is stalking and creating a security threat. But it's got it's got that kind of creepy feeling. Now I realize that if you're loving the guy, every moment of that is just wonderful entertainment. It's it's important. It's inspirational. It's whatever. But I you know I just went on Twitter like I I want to do, and I asked people whether they were inspired by this or creeped out. And you can just imagine how most people felt. And I realize it's not a scientific poll. And this is a poll of my followers who are generally creeped out by Pierre Polyev. I'm sure if I had done the same poll on some other talk show host uh, site, you know, one of those, uh, <laughs> I would have gotten inspired. He's the Messiah. But there you go. I, I just, to me, uh, uh, and some of his videos have been very effective. Uh, I, I think of, there was the one, the housing one in Vancouver that was pretty good. Uh, you yeah. know, he, he says this, you know, this teardown is like $2 million. And then he goes on to talk about the cost of housing. You know, that's pretty good. And then he was in I, I like the one that he did at the, at the passport office. I didn't People catch that one. The, yeah, that was, that was very well done. Okay, so, I mean, his, his team, like, and what he's doing is working. You know, he's, he's, he's doubled the Conservative Party yeah. membership in the several short months, and Jenny Byrne yeah. of his campaign team is doing an effective job. But I just, like, he strikes me, to be honest, as a bit of a twerp. Like, hola, amigo. Like, how is your vacation on your private jet? Like, what are you suggesting, you fucking... Like, like the prime minister can't take his family. Sorry, I, I hit the brakes. Sorry, no, I'm still trying to get an interview with Pierre, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hold my horses just a tiny little bit. I'm gonna keep him in the corral for now. I don't know if he's gonna talk to us, but the ask is in. Uh, but but like what like what do you mean? It's just being a geek. Like it, yeah. like the prime minister's supposed to like hop on the the red arrow bus and like drive it. Then like what what are you talking about? He's the prime minister. Like Mr. Polyev, are you not gonna fly private if you're the prime minister of Canada? Are you not gonna go on vacation in the middle of August with your family member with your kids? Like what what are we talking about? Like like oh, there's no electric jets. Like is this this is lowest common denominator type stuff. This is really trying to oh, appeal bicycles. To, it's 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 yeah. like you're 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 talking to like the least educated least informed <laughs> most gullible <laughs> voters in canada and 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 maybe pierre polyev is dangerous you in the context of stocking you say i'm not saying he's dangerous he might actually be <laughs> this is why i'm back folks this is why i'm back this is why i'm reinvigorated with joy and the passion and for, for a while there i thought i'd lost it for life but Ryan Jesperson has resurrected my passion for what we're doing. Okay, fine. So uh, Pierre Polyev is, is, is going on and on. And it does come across, I mean, aside from the, the, the image of the, the stalker, it, it, it kind of does remind you of the nerds in elementary school, high school, college, whatever, uh, who try to be cool. And there is <laughs> nothing more painful than watching someone who isn't trying to be that. And I, I, I give the guy credit. In, in some videos, he's got his moments where he's a pretty effective communicator. But I, I think at times he is the, the kind of nerd who sometimes, and I, I don't want to go too far with this, who, who sometimes would attract what I'll call bully behavior. I'm not trying to justify bully behavior. I'm not suggesting that I was ever a bully myself. But sometimes some nerds sort of bring the worst out in other people and sometimes Pierre Polyev, when he's talking about, well, you know, you couldn't have gotten there on a bicycle. There is no electric plane that he he does that to you. 
Are you surprised this this Nanos polling that shows that? I mean, I thought like you get the endorsement of, of Stephen Harper. What's more powerful in Canada for conservatives? Maybe as much as Harper might hate to hear it, the Preston Manning kiss. Like maybe that one might be worth a little bit more. I don't know. But Stephen Harper endorsement, you would think was pretty big. They saved it for that moment. They rolled it out. Harper released the video. We played it on this show a couple of different times. It shows that numbers wise, it might actually be hurting Pierre Polyev. Yeah, I, I think there's an operating myth uh, that the Conservative uh, Party of Canada has been perpetrating uh, for a number of years. And I think it's a myth that is much more believed in the West than the East. I mean, the, 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 the hardcore truth, if you look at the political map, is that the Conservatives do a piss poor job in most area codes, the overwhelming majority of area codes, east of Manitoba, east of where I'm sitting right now. And maybe if I had, hadn't lived in all those places, or maybe if I didn't come from there, maybe if I didn't broadcast all those places and continue my, my dialogue with people from there, maybe it, I wouldn't be as aware of it. But when you're living in Western Canada, it is hard. And you've, if, if you've spent most of your life in Western Canada, it, it's hard to sometimes believe that a Stephen Harper endorsement wouldn't be, you know, Christ touching you, right, on your garment. But in much of Canada, it, uh, well, it simply isn't. You tweeted, anyone who's genuinely surprised that Stephen Harper's endorsement of Polyev turns most Canadians off doesn't have a clue about how the majority of Canadians feel about the former PM. No matter how much conservative talking heads wish to build monuments to Harper, he's not popular. Not everybody's going to like to hear that, Charles. You know no, that. No, no, and, and I get that. But like I was saying earlier about, uh, you know, why I uh, I love you to bits, not just personally, but professionally, it's because you, you don't sit there and before emitting whatever it is that you want to admit that is coming straight from the heart and the soul and your values and your heritage and everything else, you go, well, you know, I, I should say this, but I shouldn't say that because so-and-so, I mean, you actually, you actually slipped on the banana peel, if you don't mind me criticizing a moment ago. Please do. You wanted to say something about Pierre Paulet, but because John, God bless his pea picking heart, is trying to book him. Yeah. You don't want to, you know, you, you didn't want to make <laughs> your, your partner's life harder for you. Yeah. And it's true, folks. I mean, um, po politicians tend to appear uh, on shows that are relatively friendly to them. And so Stephen Harper uh, <laughs> almost never came on my, how many, how many times did you, on my show. When he was prime minister, how many times did you interview Stephen Harper? When he was prime minister, I, uh, I interviewed him once, and it was because it was a radiothon where we were raising money for an earthquake in Haiti. Oh, so he had to. Haiti gets way too many earthquakes. During one of the one of the earthquakes uh, for, for Haiti, uh, and and the only way that he would come on is if I absolutely promised not to ask him any questions outside of uh, Haiti. Because mm. when he was the uh, leader of the, uh, the alliance, uh, I really pissed him off because I asked him about uh, private options for healthcare and wouldn't that uh, invigorate uh, the system, bring billions of dollars into the economy, uh, allow people who, who join various healthcare organizations uh, to get their healthcare done with their private insurance paying for it, allow people of more modest means uh, to uh, get, I mean, basically I was suggesting the parallel system that exists in, in Switzerland and Scandinavia and basically all over the world, except maybe North Korea and Canada, and the, all I was asking him was whether or not he would support what he for years had been supporting, 
before he became the leader of the alliance. And, you know, he just said, he went on the air and said, that, no, he doesn't support that at all. He supports the current status quo. And I said that I preferred the Stephen Harper, um, you know, who I, I got to, to know, uh, to, to the Stephen Harper that I'm getting to know now. And that really, really uh, ticked him off. I mean, like it was, it was uh, really bad. And after, after that, um, having him on to talk about anything substantive was impossible. No, there was one other time he came on for Haiti and he came on one other time. He just came on. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was only if, if I just allowed him to go for a couple of minutes, it was on election day to, to turn out the vote. But he would not discuss uh, uh, policy. And it, the crazy thing about that was, I mean, I was, you know, and some people still think of me as a, a conservative. I'm certainly a pro, pro free enterprise person. I'm not a social conservative, never pretended to be. But um, he just he just felt that I was too unpredictable uh, for him. And yeah. I would, uh, you know, challenge certain things he said and and how he said them. And he was only comfortable with a very, very small core of um, mostly local local talk show hosts who did that um, that thing that I'm not uh, proud of. The slurpy, yeah. the slurpy stuff. Yeah. Well, to re- yeah, you sort of like uh, the big newsmakers will sort of rely on the shock and awe of their name recognition where they, they roll in and kind of catch oftentimes maybe a, a, a host or an interviewer maybe even in the earlier stages of their career where they're just thrilled to get the interview. Yeah. One of the things I don't want to get too into the weeds on this, but I've always suggested to people, people, you know, someone would suggest, for example, that, that, you know, your talk show, I'm not saying Charles Adler, but someone's, I heard it aimed at me too. Your talk show's a failure. You can't even get the premiere on your show. Oh, yeah, people yeah. won't even talk to you. And I sit there and I say, you recognize that's a huge compliment, right? Like it's the one, it's the show he won't do. It's the yeah. show that's going to put him in front of the, you know, I mean, these are the questions. Uh, what's our job? Really? What's our job? Our job is to ask the questions that the public wants the answers to. Our, our yeah. job is to understand which questions the audience members would be asking if they were sitting in the chair. And when a politician won't take those questions, I mean, I prefer my politicians willing and able to mix it up a little bit, to come on here and talk to people with whom they vociferously disagree but to get into it and prove you don't have something to hide, I'm not going to be afraid of a question. I'll take it head on. And if anything, come on and try to embarrass the interviewer. Come on and yeah. try to do it. If you're so confident yeah. in your position, why don't you make me look like a fool in front of my audience? Let's Absolutely. dance, baby. Yeah. Throw throw down, slugger. Throw down. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll reveal something here without uh, destroying any sources or, 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 or different people who trusted me with this. Okay, I'll, I'll be able to, to do this. Um, confession, several prime ministers who would not come on my show, liberals and conservatives, uh, did want me to weigh in on things. They did want my opinion. And so they would meet with me. Sometimes they'd fly me in to where they were, and sometimes they would fly in. I'd meet them in different places privately. And uh, some people listening to this will think that I'm a real hypocrite, you know, that... uh, you know, why didn't I bring them on the show? I had no choice and they didn't want to come on the show. And I could have said, well, if you're not going to come on my show, I'm not going to meet with you privately. Mm. And, uh, you know, so I, I think about those things. But I just thought that my um, my Canadian citizenship meant a whole lot more to me than whether or not I was going to have a, a prime minister on the show. And if the prime minister of a country, this country, my country, my beloved promised land, Canada, uh, thought that um, I could uh, give him uh, useful information or a, a useful perspective, and it was just uh, private. 
I was uh, I was good I was good with that. So it, it, it you know and I, I didn't and I, by the way I didn't bother them about why don't you come on my show because I understood why they didn't come on my show. They wanted a controlled environment. Yeah, and uh, they didn't want unpredictability. They didn't want chaos. They didn't want some news clip uh, being uh, fashioned from what they were saying that they didn't want out there. And I mean, let's face it, I did have a reputation for generating news when I had newsmakers on. So their their, their PR people uh, decided, and sometimes they decided. I'll give you an example. You know, we got people on Twitter who think that I'm kissing Justin Trudeau's ass. Justin Trudeau has never come on my show. Mm. Never. So someone might ask, well, yeah, but have you met with Justin Trudeau privately? Well, that's that's private. I, I, I can't say. I can just say that I have met with most prime ministers in my lifetime. I've met with almost all of them um, uh, privately, and I'm, I'm honored that uh, they would invite me. And I guess in some ways, you know, from a professional perspective, I should be honored that they wouldn't dare, dare uh, do my, my show. Uh, J- Jason Kenney, I'm sure, you know, when, when he sees this or hear, hears about this, will say those guys were right, and he wishes he had never come on my show. Right? I mean, it would man, am I wrong about that? If uh, if, if people missed your master's class uh, with Jason Kenney just ahead of the 2019 election, pressing him on his advocacy uh, and, and in an antagonistic sense in San Francisco, demanding to know why he wouldn't apologize for it. They should look it up online because it's it's one of the more remarkable interviews that I've ever heard in my life. You know, something else I figured out, Chuck, pretty early in my career is that people find interviews with politicians boring because they are. And very rarely yeah. do you get a great interview with a politician. I think most people would rather hear a clip or hear a quote from a politician and then get expert, unbridled analysis on it from people that can speak freely. You know, there's a lot of talk shows that'll brag. They get all the ministers on. They get the leader party leaders on. And you know what? People's eyes glaze over a lot of the time. I think you got to find the balance. I think a show for its credibility needs to open the door for politicians to come on. I think you need to hold their feet to the fire. I think that it reflects well on a politician to be willing to face those questions from the general public by way of a medium like this podcast. But at the same time, even I mean, the numbers don't lie. A lot of times people have no time for what they know they're going to get, which is can answers which is a whole lot of words really quite frankly about nothing well you know if my show had uh, my success uh, such as it is uh, had depended on politicians appearing on my show mm. i would have had no success at all because yeah. i guarantee you there were very few people uh, who played at my level who had as few politicians on as i did did i talk about politicians a lot of course i did did i run their clips of course i did uh, but um, the thing is that you know there's a and i don't know how you know, much into the weeds we are here, but there's a an agreement, kind of a tacit agreement that uh, some people have with with politicians, and that uh, you know you can ask them any question you want, and then they can go on for as long as they want with their answer, and then you're not really supposed to challenge the answer. You're supposed to go on to the next question. There were certain people, and I won't name them, who were very very angry with me on the Kenny thing because they felt that when Kenny gave me an answer, no matter how horrible the answer was. No matter how duplicitous it was, no matter how shallow, no matter how empty, no matter how irresponsible it was, I should have just gone on to the next question. And to me, if I had done that, I would have no character. I wanted to make that interview about Jason Kenney's character. 
I wanted to introduce him to the people of Alberta. I know that sounds smug. There I am in Vancouver thinking that Jason Kenney in Alberta with all these different media people talking to him had not been introduced to the people of Alberta. Well, I'm sorry. That's how I felt about it. And I was right. Mm. I was absolutely right. And everything that they attacked me for on 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 on, on the Kenny thing and, and how Kenny looked on my show, and they they you know many people said that I made him look a certain way. It was my fault that he came across as a shallow, intellectually bankrupt hypocrite. All those things that happened on my show that night, people realized within a year or two years, all that my show did was give them a preview of coming attractions. And no, politicians don't make for great interviews simply because the people who interview them, and I realize we've got lots of people you know, in media who are watching this and they'll, 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 they'll throw stones, that's fine. The reason politicians come across as boring as they do is because the interviewers do not challenge them do not hold their feet to the fire and don't make it about character. And character is the only thing that matters. Because when you're being led by somebody, you want to be led by somebody who says what they mean and mean what they say. And if they don't, it's your job as an interviewer to show the public exactly who they are. We noticed uh, you were watching, I could tell, because you were active in our live chat on YouTube when I talked to former BC Premier Christy Clark just last week, if people missed the interview, they can catch it in its entirety. It's about a half hour. She's talking about the future of Canadian politics. She's talking about whether or not she believes Canada's divided. Spoiler alert, she does. She talks about the future of pipelines. She reflected on her time as premier, specifically in the context of different methods of healthcare delivery, like Charles just teed up. But, but I noticed that you chimed in. You had a specific comment. Something she said resonated with you. And, and here's a clip from our interview last week with Christy Clark. The reason I became so passionate about um, natural resources and LNG in particular is because I care about Indigenous reconciliation. And, you know, we governments love to do all of their apologies and all of their commissions, and that's that plays a role. But it is nothing compared to what we need to do to try and address poverty. First Nations have terrible addiction rates, suicide rates, child protection rates, health um, outcomes, not because they don't have enough apologies. They have they have terrible outcomes because they have they live in poverty. And the only solution to poverty is wealth. I saw you highlight that, Charles. The only solution to poverty yeah. is wealth. Good, good, good on Christy Clark. I've got lots of criticisms about uh, Christy Clark. I'm going to park them. I'm going to park every one of those criticisms because what she said there was a billion-dollar clip. The only solution to poverty is wealth. We can talk about history, the horrible history of residential schools. I've done it. Ryan Jesperson has done it. A lot of people have done it. None of that is going to create wealth. It needs to be told. I'm ashamed that I didn't know much more about that a couple of years ago. I'm ashamed that our, our teachers and our teaching, our education system didn't teach us that. But I got to park all of that. Because if we're talking about economic development for our First Nations people, we have to give them the opportunities to develop. We can't just talk about how horrible the history is. That horrible history and retelling it as important as it is, is not going to create a single job. It's not going to help a single family have what we want for every family. And that's independence, economic independence, self-reliance. And so when Christy Clark said that those particular projects, which are resource projects in British Columbia, 
are bringing First Nations people out of poverty. That's exactly what they're doing, as are many projects in Alberta, many energy projects. I mean, this is this is where the you know people on the, the left of me, the, the, the progressives, can't stand what I have to say. Yes, I'm pro-resources, I'm pro-energy, I'm pro-jobs. And yes, when it comes to northern areas of Canada, including the provinces we're talking about specifically here, British Columbia and Alberta, those energy jobs are good jobs, they're well-paying jobs, and they're well-paying jobs for a number of people who happen to be First Nations people. And if we really care about them, then we don't want them in poverty. And the only solution to poverty, to quote Christy Clark, the only solution to poverty is wealth. Chuck, Johnny and I are taking next week off. We're going to spend some time with our families. That means that you and I will chat two weeks from today. Thanks for giving us your time. We always appreciate it. Thank you for bringing back my joy <laughs> and my passion for what we're doing. Uh, I know that many of my followers appreciate you, but nobody appreciates you more than I do, my friend. Thank you very much. Ah, it means the world to me, Charles. Uh, that's Charles Adler. Uh, give him a follow on Twitter. And, of course, uh, the guy, uh, the best thing about Chuck is that he will engage, right? If you got something to say to him uh, and if you if you approach respectfully, as a matter of fact, that's not even a prerequisite, but we recommend it. Yeah. We highly recommend it. I love that he keeps these conversations going, and we see it every Monday into Tuesday into Wednesday. Every time he's here on Real Talk, we see audience members engaging with Charles and continuing these conversations, and that is just the coolest. I mean, that's like pretty much the whole point of what we're doing. He is. Charles Adler is the coolest. He was really cool in high school, too. Super Although cool Pierre wasn't. School. He was. <laughs> oh, hello, amigo. As you enjoy your cerveza before you know, another trip out on the surfboard. And, you know, we would love to have Pierre on the show. I think I'm kind of a kindred spirit with him because I wasn't that cool in grade school or high school. But near the end, grade 11 and 12, I kind of peaked and got in with some of those social circles. You know, I guess you would call them the jocks, the preps, the cool people. Um, but I tried to do what he did, too, was like, you know, hook up with their lingo and try and be cool. And you know what? They all saw through it. And that's what's happening right now, right? And then when I was just myself, you know, they kind of respected that. And, you know, because you're original, you're different, right? But I, I have this saying, you can look it up. Well, I don't have it. It's it's called going ham. And that's what he's doing. He's going, I'll just swear, it's hard as a motherfucker. And we can all see that he's going just a little too ham on everything. Like, he's clearly an intelligent guy. Like, we can see that. Oh, for sure. There's no but doubt about that. he's just wading into these areas where it's like, man, you know, I don't want to get... Bitcoin advice from you. I don't want to get that kind, you know, those kind of things you're telling us. It's just, it's an area you shouldn't be in, right? But I do respect you, Pierre. So maybe, maybe you can come on the show. We're, we're sending we'll emails see. every I mean, day. The, the invite's out. <laughs> uh, Tracy says it's so evident that he's, he's just jealous. It's like he's obsessed with the prime minister. I'd love for him to grow up and get some new ideas to govern. You know, I love my politicians. Who? I, 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 I'm not going to say in particular, like, who would be an example, but but I prefer politicians that have great ideas mm -hmm. that demonstrate an ability to understand the issues that resonate with people. Pierre ticks that box for sure. Right. He understands what 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 uh, bolts he can torque mm -hmm. to really, really kind of put together a compelling campaign. And it's going to work for him, I think. Mm -hmm. The question is, to what degree? But I prefer politicians that almost virtually and it's and it's easier. I mean, political strategists may say this is poor strategy, mm -hmm. but to almost ignore the other person, 
like like Trudeau who like Trudeau like Sunny yeah, Ways Trudeau it. like it's 2015 like that guy mm-hmm. the guy that you know you could say that the guy that's the guy that's tired the guy that's run into you know and 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 then you say here here here's what the fresh new reinvigorated relevant forward facing conservative party stands for mm-hmm. It's it's not just harping in on uh, no pun intended, but like, does anybody care? Does anybody really care? I mean, aside from the people that are perpetually angry or that just can't stand the prime minister, the people that focus on the things like the haircuts. I mean, it is a bad haircut, but still, but but the focus on the hair that focus on the socks. I mean, these are the people that care about them. But the average ordinary regular person assumes that the prime minister or any other politician is going to take a summer vacation with their family yeah. and they assume that the prime minister is not flying Sunwing to get to his all-inclusive and stand in line at the buffet. He's the prime minister. Yeah, and it's funny it, that you say that. It's it's true. Like, you want a fresh perspective. Like, we can all... It's very easy to make fun of Justin Trudeau. It doesn't take sure. a lot of talent or, or intelligence, right? So it's like, yeah. I had a... Uh, this uh, thread that I that I helped share over the weekend from from Heidi Scott and I don't know Heidi personally. I just it really got me thinking, and I I retweeted it. I sent it out, and, and I just said this is like pure fire. And I said I'd be curious to hear. This is not intended to be some sort of an anti-conservative broadcast. I mean. Shit, we're talking to conservatives all the time. Josh Ray is going to join us on Thursday. I'm grateful he was able to reschedule after we had to mm-hmm. postpone on Friday. So he'll join us on Thursday, Josh Ray will. But Heidi Scott tweeted this out over the weekend. It obviously caught fire. A lot of people are paying attention to it. I want to read it. She says, suffice it to say that conservatives in Canada writ large would like us all to be distracted by their hysteria over Justin Trudeau and his family being on vacation. The question isn't why is our prime minister on vacation? The question is, why do conservatives want this to be the headline? Might it be that they're trying to run out the clock because there are elections in in the federal party and and the United Conservative Party in Alberta? And what they really don't want is a country focused on the vast amount of material we should be discussing that reveals what it means to be a conservative in Canada. She says over the course of the past almost three years, without question, conservatives have made all of our lives hell. Incessant rallies and marches and raging with Nazi flags and pinning the star of David to themselves and saying they're like victims of the Holocaust. They've believed conspiracies and claimed that a global pandemic isn't real and that they wouldn't get vaccinated, but would take veterinary medicine for horses. They've screamed about the prime minister. They've driven around with the worst stickers and decals on their vehicles about him. They've waved Canadian flags with the maple leaf upside down, calling themselves the real patriots of Canada. When have we ever seen a conservative stand up and say, what can we do to help people in Canada not get sick? When have they ever done anything other than scream about supposed rights and freedoms and conduct themselves in a way that made sure others did get sick? And that's patriotism and love of country. They hooked up together as white supremacists, yellow vesters, conspiracy theorists, haters of immigrants, Jews, Muslims, the LGBTQ community, liberals, progressives. They've lied about being a trucker protest. They cost us countless dollars in policing while they took Ottawa hostage. And who courted them? Front runners in the conservative party elections. Do conservatives want us focused on this? Rehashing and having serious discourse about this? No. So knowing that the center left and the left will will happily distract themselves responding to the ridiculous chatter about the prime minister on vacation, they keep fanning that flame. It's a non-conversation. 
Yet there we are, all of us who aren't conservatives, writes Heidi Scott, predictably chirping away at conservative nonsense designed exactly for this. She says, I belly laughed at the conclusion of the abacus survey that there is Trudeau fatigue in Canada. She says, I don't know who they asked or how they asked it to land on the theory, but it's nuts. The fatigue in Canada is with conservatives. This isn't just a Canadian phenomenon. It's a global phenomenon. People are sick to death of the anger, hatred, lies, conspiracies, outright denial of reality, science. And we're, we're tired of right-wing destruction of peace and common sense and denial of climate change, the pandemic, massacres, you name it. Massacres, there you are with the Alex Jones reference. You name it, they'll spin it into a lie and grift off of it. She says we're sick of the Trumps, MAGA, the Make America Great Again, the Ultra MAGA. Steve Bannon, Alex Jones, Joe Rogan, Pierre Polyev, Max Bernier, Ezra Levant, Rebel News, Stephen Harper, Andrew Scheer, Jason Kenney, the UCP, the CPC, Rex Murphy, Tamara Leach, Pat King, Danielle Smith, Marie Le Pen in France, Orban in Hungary, militias, gun nuts, every single lying, shock, jock, pastor, right-wing extremist influencer. This by no means an exhaustive list, but if you do not understand how completely sick and tired we are of all the right-wing bullshit we've been trying to peacefully live alongside, then man, you don't understand what's going on in Canada or elsewhere. Because Heidi says, I can assure you we're exhausted from it and so, so sick of it. And to think that in Canada we'd be tired of the one guy who stayed rational, showed compassion, resiliency, grace, strength, who's shown us that he had our backs and demonstrated love of Canada and Canadians. I mean, she's obviously a Trudeau supporter. She says, represented us globally in a way we can be proud of. What exactly is it we're supposedly so tired of that Pierre Polyev looks attractive to us? You not see how funny this is? It's bizarre, she says. So have your games where you plant seeds and then pretend you're just reporting on how everyday Canadians think. Bullshit. She says, I'm not playing. Mr. Prime Minister, you enjoy your holiday. Mr. Polyev, we see through you. She says, you fool no one with your extremist agenda. I'm focused on you losing, says Heidi, now and always. Danielle Smith and every other divisive conservative politician in Alberta, I'm focused, says Heidi, on making sure you never get elected. I'm not distracted, and neither are the people I know. You're not worthy of governing if you use lies and conspiracies to manipulate, if you harbor white supremacist ideology, and if you want to dismantle Canada to build a kingdom. You can follow her on Twitter at ScottHeidi576. Powerful stuff. One person's opinion. I'm curious to know where you land on it. She lays it out in a way that demands a rebuttal that I have yet to see. Kind of felt like a bit of a trash talk. Those, of course, come up on Friday. We had a politics trash talk we were locked and loaded for friday so this week's edition is going to be an absolute barn burner presented by the team at local environmental services Uh, what are they all about at local environmental services i invite you to check out their website at localenvironmental.ca you can learn more about their core values they're not just a garbage company they don't just collect recycling and move on they're about so much more than that you can hear the message from founder Chris Labossier, still family-owned this company is after more than a quarter century of doing business across the prairies in Alberta and Saskatchewan, bringing great service into the communities they serve. You can learn more about their services and where they operate, Alberta and Saskatchewan, at localenvironmental.ca. 
Speaking of family-owned, a big shout-out to our friends at Eden Landscaping. This is the time of year where they are working around the clock, making sure that they perfectly execute the vision that their clients have laid out as they bring outdoor spaces to life, a custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area. One of the things I love that they're doing, they're really focusing this season at Eden Landscaping on these front yard, they call them the front yard butterfly approach. People are moving away from just acres of sod, right? Burn your, you know, get your lawn. I was going to say burn your lawnmower. That's a terrible idea. Maybe donate it to somewhere that could use it. Get rid of that mower. And why not adopt some of the more native grasses and the plants that help the pollinators? This tees us up nicely for our positive reflections right now. People are more aware of the ecological impact of landscape design. Eden's focusing on this. You can learn more about what they're doing at landscapeedmonton.ca. And a big shout out to our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. It is Miracle Treat Day coming up this Thursday. That's August 11th. You can buy a blizzard and bring health and hope to local kids. This is in support of the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation. But I want to give a special mention to the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and in Sherwood Park at Baseline Road. They don't just take the profits from the blizzards. They take the whole shebang. And so every single cent of your Blizzard purchase on this Thursday is going to benefit the Stollery Children's Hospital. When you're there at Dairy Queen, keep in mind as well, you can place pre-orders ahead of time. You want to pick up Blizzards for the kids at summer camp? Maybe bring in a box of Blizzards to the office. They'd be happy to take your order. You can find more on the Dairy Queens by visiting the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Every Monday, our friends at Kubi Energy give us reason to focus on the positive, to fill our buckets, to get the week started off on the right foot. It's Positive Reflections. And, you know, we talk a lot about the negative side of ecological impact that humans have, right? We hear about species going extinct. You know, the white rhino, I think, of a lot of our marine life. We know the fish species are threatened. We hear about the impact of deforestation in the Amazon rainforest and other parts of the planet. But there are some good news stories as well, like these ones that were shared with us late last week by Brinley, who sent us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Check this out, out of Colombia. This is a rare hummingbird species that was rediscovered after no documented sightings for more than 13 years. As a matter of fact, it was only the third time that the Santa Marta Sabruing had been documented, only the third time since it was first discovered in 1946. This rare bird was included on a list of the top 10 most wanted lost birds, and this recent sighting captured by a lucky photographer, an experienced local bird watcher, has conservationists saying this could be a huge indicator, reason for hope, for a critically endangered species. Jurgen Vega made the discovery. That's the photographer said this sighting was a complete surprise. I was leaving the area. They were studying endemic birds in Sierra Nevada, the Santa Marta, said I got out my binoculars and I was shocked to see a Santa Marta sabruing, an incredible stroke of luck. It perched on a branch, giving me time to take the photos and video. Now, Elsewhere on planet Earth, a good news story out of Nepal. 
July 29th was Global Tiger Day, and the nation of Nepal had some roaring good news. Johnny, I couldn't help myself. Reporting <laughs> that their wild tiger population is 40% higher than what was reported in 2015. Woo! In just seven years, the tiger population in Nepal is 40% higher, say conservationists. Now, how has this worked? How has Nepal nearly tripled the number of tigers in the wild? Well, this historic increase since 2009, Johnny, it's up almost 200%. I like it. Over the last 13 years, it's the result of the protection of key tiger habitats and corridors. They're partnering with local communities and they're really cracking down on poaching and the illegal wildlife trade. Now, of course, they say that the bigger target here is to double the population of wild tigers around the world. Nepal was a huge partner in this initial, uh, the, the initiative through the World Wildlife Fund, the Department of National Park and Wildlife Conservation. People are saying that Nepal's new tiger population shows that it's possible to save a species from the brink of extinction. It gives us reason to celebrate not just on Global Tiger Day, which I did not know was a thing, but every day. So a shout yes. out to those of you, even in your own backyards, even in your neck of the woods, the steps you're taking to attract pollinators or to provide homes for birds or to make less of an impact in the backcountry. Whatever you're doing, it has an impact. And these are the good news stories that we're thrilled to bring you every Monday. Our positive reflections presented by Kubi Energy. Our week will continue with our focus on other stories that are making news, stories that are relevant to you. And a big part of us knowing that is you getting in touch. You can find us online at ryanjesperson.com. It's easy to send us an email. You can hit us up on virtually all the social media platforms. And of course, a huge shout out to those of you that join us live every single morning on the Mixler live streaming audio app. And of course, YouTube, where you can leave your comments there in the live chat. Jean Charest on Thursday, much more to happen between now and then. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.